Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next two hours are devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded willing to challenge some of those old ideas behind what we think we know, who we are, and who we might just become. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. Now, those words are more or less the same words I have used for many years to open this show, the signature lines, if you will. That said, this past week I had a conversation with Reverend Keith Ruback about the show, and it became clear to me that some of you may feel that unless I seriously challenge a guest during the show, that I am endorsing them. Now, the fact is, I generally try to avoid conflict with a guest unless they say something so patently false or misleading that I simply can't allow it to go unchallenged, and that has happened. That does not mean, however, that I don't ask tough questions, but I do try not to pursue their answers too tenaciously. I do not, nor am I, endorsing a guest because they have just simply come to this show. Every guest we bring to the show has a perspective of interest. We do make every effort to pre-screen our guests, but my opinion about any guest, unless I overtly speak otherwise, is withheld. Those of you who have been with this show for any time at all are aware that for me the show fulfills a sort of childhood fantasy, one I called my round table. I used to imagine what it would be like to sit the brightest and most enlightened folks down to a table, ask questions, and learn from the conversation. Imagine, I often thought, the likes of Pythagoras or Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Planck, Einstein, Schrodinger, Rousseau, Lewis, Darwin, Kant, Newton, Popper, and on and on. I mean, just imagine the insights one might gain. And then what if you could sit at your table, the likes of Jesus, Siddhartha, Confucius, or Muhammad. Imagine how much more you might gain. Well, provocative enlightenment is my round table, and just as I would not necessarily agree with every philosopher, for how could I when they disagree with each other, I don't always agree with our guests. Indeed, enlightenment is not what some think. Our show, Provocative Enlightenment, strives for truth. Not the so-called personal truth, but a more universal and sometimes even objective truth. I think of enlightenment this way, as I posted this week on my Facebook page, quote, Have no doubt, with enlightenment comes the destroyer that rips away falsehoods and pierces ignorance. Inviolately, it resolves to penetrate the world with truth. It seeks no friends, promises no rewards, makes no apologies, and offers no absolution. As with light itself, only those hiding in the dark resist its arrival. Close quote. Now, everyone is on their own journey, so it's up to you to assess the information yourself and to come to your own conclusions. We try to shine the light and let you choose the way. 
Moving on, our chat room is open and my partner Ravinder awaits you there now. You can log on by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We have a great chat room and my lovely partner Ravinder is here to tell you all about it. So Rav, you're up. Um, of course, I always like everyone to join me in the chat room. That is provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat where the conversation is very stimulating um, providing lots of answers, providing lots of food for thought. So uh, do come join us. Just come in, say hello, observe, you know, what's going on in there or actually participate, whatever you want to do. I just like to see you there. So that is provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. All right. Every week I read some of your letters as our way of paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Last week, our show featured Dr. Raymond Moody and our conversation centered upon NDE research. He took the position that the questions of life after death is a philosophical question, and as such, not something subject to science. No, indeed, for Raymond, and as for the artifact evidence, well, such as that offered in OBEs or conversations with dead relatives, ignore it. It really doesn't matter if it's verifiable. The only thing that matters is the concept of understanding that the question itself is obtuse, illogical, and yet of utmost importance. Let me say that again. The only thing that matters is that the concept of understanding that the question is obtuse, illogical, and yet still of utmost importance is Dr. Moody's official position. Since all NDE reports are set in a timeless, spaceless surrounding, and yet they're stories of travel, they're therefore nonsensical statements such as this, you know, I mean, they can't be logically true if they travel through timeless, spaceless places, but given that they're still not logic per se, they're nevertheless important, and that, for Dr. Moody, is the shamanic way. All right, John wrote, if the content of the stories told by those who experience a NDE does not matter, then why offer the evidence? I mean, if you tell me that your dead relative informed you of something that you could not have learned otherwise, and I find that what you claim to be true is false, why wouldn't that matter and matter a whole lot? Well, I kind of think it would. What do you think, Raph? Yeah, I do too. I think it, yeah. CB commented, the circumstances around Alexander's story make me think I would not trust it any farther than some of the folks I heard who had way out sensory deprivation tank experiences. But an interesting investigation into consciousness. I find Dr. Moody's delving into reorganizing how to explore the topic very interesting, though I don't have a lot of attachment to logic per se. Dennis wrote, enjoyed your interview of Raymond Moody. Hope you have luck in getting Eben Alexander on your show. Even with the character issues that perhaps compromise his credibility, I think it's possible that his NDE, even if he knowingly distorted some of his facts about his coma, is real. As to your question about the cultural relativism of NDEs, maybe the Christian experience of Jesus or the Buddhist experience of Buddha is a part of the eased orientation in the otherwise disoriented experience of being bodiless and confused after consciousness leaves the body. Just a theory. Well, we can all have a theory about these things, can't we, Ravinder? <laughs> Richard wrote, It's not logical if this is by nature a non-physical event that physical evidence would be forthcoming. 
It seems that absence of brain activity while the dead one is generating memories would be the sort of proof that would spark curiosity. And that's a definite. That is a real definite. The problem is the time lag. The memory in, in the state in which we assume there is absolutely no activity in the brain and therefore clinically dead, we're never able to really tie those two together. That's the issue. And he wrote, I just love your show. Diva Doc remarked, it's all nonsense because you can't see consciousness. And Marianne wrote, I truly respect your work and I'm grateful that I have learned about it. I am listening to your Serenity CD and it is amazing. Phyllis wrote, your Intertalk recordings are like gold to me. I was overweight, a junk food eater, never exercised, a complete mess. I've listened to my recordings for... Well, now that's interesting. I've listened to my recordings approximately four years now, and they have helped me more than anything. I listen all night. Thanks so much. Well, you're more than welcome, Phyllis, and thank you for sharing. And I don't know how that letter got truncated, but it did. But that's all right. I figured it out. All right. That's all the time we're going to take for letters today. But I do invite you to opine by sending your comments to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com. That's E-L-D-O-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R. Eldon at EldonTaylor.com or by joining me on Facebook. I truly appreciate your feedback and continued support. Now, in our Spotlight of the Week segment this week, we turn our attention to self-sabotage. Most people are totally unaware that they are sometimes controlled by internal mechanisms that are designed to protect, but that actually function to sabotage certain goals in their lives. The fact is, all of us possess self-destructive elements that can manifest at any time and in a variety of ways. This not-so-silent enemy within usually remains in stealth mode, despite its repeated pattern of interference with our own self-declared desires. Psychologists define self-destructive patterns this way, quote, Behavior is said to be self-sabotaging when it creates problems and interferes with long-standing goals. The most common self-sabotaging behaviors are procrastination, self-medication with drugs or alcohol, comfort eating in the face of weight concerns, and self-injury, such as cutting. These acts may seem helpful in the moment, but ultimately undermine us, especially when we engage in them repeatedly. Close quote. Why would we all have these click were internal automatic self-destructive mechanisms that betray our best intentions? Technically, most of them arise as a result of a defense strategy. They can be as simple as something we do in order to avoid rejection that is the result of an embarrassing childhood episode. For example, take the fellow who simply couldn't laugh. We'll call him John. Indeed, John was unable to even fully smile. His wife and friends thought of him as stoic, and that was fine with John until he discovered that he was often not invited to events because of his lack of humor. When he made inquiries regarding this, he discovered that others found him to be a bore who could wilt the humor in any party in an instant. This saddened John, so he set about discovering why he behaved this way. What John learned was that, as a child, a childhood event led to his inability to relax and laugh. He actually found many things humorous, but he withheld his expression of the same because when he was young, other children had mocked him for the way he laughed and for his, quote, twisted smile. 
Now, John did not consciously say to himself something like, build a defense mechanism that prevents me from being ridiculed in the future because of my laugh. Albeit, that's exactly what his ego managed for him. It is, after all, the job of a healthy ego to protect us. So John's automatic mechanism with click-word precision simply arrested his expression of humor to protect him from ridicule. And this unconscious automatic mechanism remained in place until John made his uncovering and set about to consciously change his behavior. Okay, this is a simple example of how a mechanism can work to destroy our lives, but there are also some very compound and complicated mechanisms that can arise for many reasons, including compensation. It is our nature, as the herd animals that we are, to seek acceptance and avoid rejection. It is also our nature to compete for attention, or in the alternative, to adopt low to non-competitive strategies as a pattern of avoidance. For some, both of these patterns can actually be operational and activated at different times under differing circumstances. The bottom line is this. We all have self-sabotaging mechanisms of some sort that raise their ugly heads from time to time, and that is why certain goals can remain elusive, unattainable, despite our every best effort. Eliminating self-sabotage then becomes a primary step in getting our own houses in order. In at least one sense, ending self-destructive patterns is the weeding out of ideas and behavior that prevents us from achieving all that we are otherwise capable of enjoying. As such, the path to success requires the elimination of self-destructive behavior patterns. The objective of ending self-sabotage begins then by recognizing that we all possess this potential. Pursuing its possibilities, we begin to recognize patterns of behavior that have common antecedents. Diligently attending to your thoughts often reveals inner beliefs, biases, and the like that you really do not wish to continue to own. Strengthening your resolve for deliberation, you gain more control over self-regulation. Each time you are successful at halting an automatic mechanism, you begin to break the pattern and thereby end the habit. I encourage you to become mindful of your thoughts. By observing your thoughts and behavior patterns, you can uncover self-limiting and self-defeating strategies boost your self-regulation practices, and consequently eliminate those click-were automatic habits. Your thoughts on this one, Ravinder? Oh, the whole subject of self-destructive patterns, you know, that's a key to how I got involved in this uh, entire field, the way the subconscious mind works to protect you in some ways you know so oftentimes it can be a childhood habit or an incident that happened where you were hurt or upset or afraid and your subconscious says i'm not going to allow that to happen again you know i'm going to avoid that kind of situation so for the kid who got laughed at when uh having to do a reading in class or something you know um the subconscious can say uh uh-uh, uh, I'm never doing that again. So I'm not going to volunteer for public speaking, which, you know, can work to protect you as a child. But when you become an adult and you want that promotion and you have to go before the board and give a presentation and then you suddenly decide, you know, I don't want that promotion. 
which is kind of a crazy thought if, if you spent a great deal of time working towards it and it's like well what suddenly changed in there why is it every time a promotion comes along you find an excuse find a way out of it you know well it's that fear in this particular instance the fear of public speaking that raises its head and it's not enough then to just go for um you know you've got a whole number of different inner talk programs so you have programs for public speaking but sometimes there is that fear that that feeling that I don't deserve that goes on inside so you know I've often had instances talking to customers on the phone when they're working with a particular program not quite getting the results that they want and then I suggest well why don't you try and self-destructive patterns and they do and they come back uh, you know really happy about it I heard from one of our customers just the other day and that's exactly how he had started you know and he was he works in the music industry and he was saying how common it was for you know really good performers to suddenly chicken out when there was somebody in the audience that would make a real difference to them it's like uh, you know perhaps the self-sabotaging behavior is you know the voice of their parents saying you don't deserve it you can't do it you're stupid you're dumb you know so they have that belief deep within them you know the irony and I don't mean to interject here but I think it's totally relevant the irony is that most people are totally aware of fear of failure and fear of success okay mm-hmm. so you know they they'll identify that right away without realizing that what undergirds both of those fear are these mechanisms that we're talking about that feed self-destructive behavior i mean indeed that chickening out or that, you know, the opera singer who suddenly has a sore throat, the ballet dancer who suddenly sprains their ankle, those those situations of opportunity, illnesses, if you will, of opportunity that uh, allow us to escape the fears that we're dealing with. All of that is really built into these mechanisms that that we're defining as self-destructive, self-sabotaging behaviors that lay deep in our unconscious as a result of how we have adapted in our past life, you know, in our past lives, in our in our childhood to adulthood, in our maturity, uh, to the various circumstances that we've dealt with in our attempts to, you know, find acceptance and avoid rejection. It is, and it doesn't always have to be something from your childhood. I know I had an instance, uh, this is a number of years ago now, 15, 20 years ago now. I was an adult, definitely. But um, I developed an allergy. Now, I don't get allergies. I don't get hay fever. But I developed this allergy, and I worked with the allergies program, and, you know, it worked in part, but there was still something going on. And then... I played ending self-destructive patterns all night long while I slept once and I had the most interesting dream and in that dream I was poisoning myself you know now it took some introspection after that trying to figure it all out but it turned out to be that um, I was in a catch-22 situation and I didn't know how to get out of it and I was trying to extricate myself from this catch-22 situation and once I identified the cause the allergy went sure um so yeah i mean I, I i find that stuff really fascinating but it said it doesn't have to be a childhood event it can be in, in this particular instance it was something that had happened the prior year okay now uh, rev 
because we and I, we and I, you and I have discussed. <laughs> we this. are one. Yeah. <laughs> because we've discussed this so many times, uh, you actually motivated me in part to put together a special collection, and and we've got a, a a major offering on that. So it would I would be remiss not to give you the opportunity to tell people about the mailing that went this week and what that opportunity is. Why don't you go ahead and take three we minutes? We did. create. We created a program specifically for eliminating self-sabotage, you know, tackling it from all the different areas. So, you know, it's re-scripting those childhood beliefs. It's the releasing the anger. It's the um, healing from invalidation, which is a huge part of uh, self-destructive patterns. So, yeah, in this collection, we have got nine programs on eight CDs. Um, so there are three headphone programs in there, so that you know, put your headphones on, close your eyes, put your feet up. Some people like to use those, you know, for that immediate boost. So we have the Ozo and the Ecotech, both the forceful and the gentle supportive approach to that. We have a power imaging program in there. You know, Power Imaging is a program I've talked about um, on the air a number of times. That's my happy place. You know, I, there's a safe, happy place that I can go to whenever I need to unwind, relax, and go within to find what the problem is and what the solution is. You know, so I, I really like that. And then we have a number of inner talk programs. So the inner talk titles included in this package are, of course, End Self-Destructive Patterns, Healing from Invalidation, Rescripting the Child Within, Releasing Anger, Self-Confidence and Have It All. You know, if you don't believe that you deserve to be successful, if that inner voice is telling you, you know, the voice of the parent from, you know, your childhood that says, you don't deserve it because you're stupid and dumb, well, you're going to get in your own way and you're going to you know, try to be the person that your parents told you that you were, which is all kind of crazy. But anyway, this complete collection, it's a $251 value, but we went out of house for this special package and this special launch. So right now we are offering it for only $79. You know, when you think each of these single inner talk programs is $27.95 each, well, $79 for nine programs is um, a heck of a deal. To get information on that, you can just go to Provocative Enlightenment. The homepage there has got a banner for it. You can go to eldentaylor.com. We've got the banner up there as well. Uh, if you just click on that, that'll take you all the way through. Okay, that's cool. So it's $79 and there are nine programs and, uh, and, and it, it, you know, the combination of technologies, Ravinder, they, they, you know, inner talk you can play in the background anytime, anywhere. Um, the Echotech, the Ozo, and the power imaging technologies, they're all recommended headphone technologies. They use uh, sound patterns and frequencies to alter consciousness. There's verbal coaching, et cetera. Is that all explained as well? Uh, yes, it comes with, it comes, uh, well, the, the entire package comes with a booklet that has the complete instructions. But yeah, it does uh, define the uh, the different technologies. You know, the headphone programs are good, as I said, when you want that immediate kind of effect. There are times, you know, I'm really stressed out and I need something right now to help me calm down and get back on track so that in particular is when i will use a headphone program or at the end of the day when i want to unwind the power imaging and the echotech are great for that or the ozo at the beginning of the day when i want to be fired up okay i'm going to achieve my goals today 
you know, that, that type of, and it just helps get you on track. But then the inner talk programs, you know, uh, the ones that come in this package are all in the n- nature format, which gives you great flexibility. You know, play it in the background uh, during the day as you're doing your work, as you're watching television, as you're playing your own music, or um, play it all night long while you're sleeping. And that's an excellent way. And I often get answers in my dreams that way. It's absolutely brilliant. All right. Well, it sounds exciting to me. Huh? In the... Next, after the break, we've got a hard break coming up here, but after the break, we will be speaking with Diane Collins about a new way of thinking. Uh, so when we come back, be sure to um, stay tuned to hear all about quantum thinking. You can learn more about Diane by visiting her website at diannecollins.com. Remember to join Ravinder and her team in the chat room. You can do that by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. The praise for Elton Taylor's New York Times best-selling book, Choices and Illusions, continues to mount. John Edwards said this about choices. Read this book. We are living at a time when people are searching for answers to fundamental questions in their lives. This book can be, if applied, a roadmap to personal enlightenment and empowerment. More important, it helps you see that you can manifest change. Joan Borisenko had this to say, Choices and Illusions is a smart, practical book by a grand master of the mind. If you want to get out of the box of your own thinking and touch a greater reality, Eldon Taylor can show you how. Lindsay Wagner had this to say, Enjoy the journey. I did. Get your copy today online or at fine bookstores everywhere. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. tree of life, I just picked me a plum. You came along and everything started into hum. Still it's a real good bet, the best is yet to come. Best is yet to come, and babe, won't that be fine? You think you've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. Wait till the warm-up's underway. Wait till our lips have met. And wait till you see that sunshine. Welcome back. If you just joined us, this week's show is all about quantum thinking based on a strategy developed by author Diane Collins and her book, Do You Quantum Think? Diane Collins is a modern visionary, an original thinker, an authority in new world view thinking, and the creator and author of Quantum Think System. Her publisher released this statement about her book, quote, Ms. Collins is an important thought leader of our time. Her workshops and consulting sessions are widely sought after 
by a clientele that includes politicians, celebrities, and CEOs alike. This ambitious book is a culmination of her life's work, and it unveils the powerful secrets she has uncovered in the process. These secrets bridge the gap between ancient wisdom and modern science to reveal a power that exists in each of us if only we learn how to access its source. The key to this access is a concept she calls quantum think, which explains that our thinking is not free, but is conditioned by our worldview. Boy, could I say amen to that one. Only with this knowledge are we able to pursue the lives that we truly desire. This book is much more than a self-help book, and Diane Collins is more than simply the latest motivational speaker. Do You Quantum Think asserts that the human race is at a critical juncture in its development, and it is our collective responsibility to evolve our thought process or face the consequences. Close quote. So on that, let's get her in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Diane Collins. Hello, Eldon. What a pleasure to be here with you. Well, I'm looking forward to it myself. Thank you very much for joining us. Now, you know, let's begin with your song. Uh, we ask our guests for up to three songs that really have meaning in their lives, their life songs, if you will. This often provides some interesting insight into our guest. You'd be surprised how many times somebody is very optimistic and enthusiastic, and they tell us all these great things, and then they've got a song of life that is, you know, the train ran over the dog and the neighbor ran away with my wife. So, so we just played some of the best, uh, the best is yet to come by Sinatra. Now, I think you wanted the music by a different performer, but my team was unable to grab that one easily. So you got Sinatra. Okay, I was wondering. And that's about never that. a bad substitute in my view, but okay, tell no, us. I love Why is this song important to you, Diane? And how does it tell us about who you are? Well, first of all, I love that song you played by Frank Sinatra, and he is certainly one of the great all-time ever-greats. However, that wasn't the song that I chose. So I thought, well, this is good, but my song was actually called It's Going to Be a New Day, and um, it's by Baja. And so I think it was from the 80s, a group in the 80s, and it really, you know, it goes like, and it's gonna be a new day for you. A new day. I shouldn't be singing over here, but sure uh, you should. You got the I idea. mean, you know, give us. Come on, the an encore. Give us some more. The stars have played their part. The past is gone and done. Have more faith in love. The best is yet to come. I think that's where the co- uh, the uh, confluence. Okay, because I'm I'm looking right at your email info, Songs of Life, and it says the best is yet to come by Bossia. Uh, yeah. And of course, my well, people couldn't you know find what? that. But it's, but so it's okay. Perfect. That's great. Yeah, you know, it works I'll tell out. you why it's perfect because they're really along the same lines, except one is more in. You know, look, it's a a question of whether you look at it as your beloved, you know, your romance when in the Frank Sinatra when our lips meet. But I think it's really uh, the same idea, Eldon, which is, for me, the reason I picked that Basha song, is going to be a new day for you, is that we're in a time, as you often mention, and we have much in common on that, of evolution for humankind, probably unlike any we've seen or known, at least in our uh, annals of history, 
that we know of or have witnessed. And this is wonderful because we can see that we, you know, as I was growing up and I saw the disconnect between how we aspire to be, to live the great virtues, to live the virtuous life of unconditional love, of compassion for all, of connection from our heart to one another, and of having, you know, everything work out for the best and taking care of our brethren. And yet, when you read the daily news, it's a far cry. So when I look at what's going on now, and we can see the dissolution, the dissolving of what's no longer working, the, you know, the revealing of it, the surfacing of it, and to make room for new foundations based in a more expansive way of thinking, based in a more expansive and up-to-date, accurate worldview. And, of course, that's what quantum think is all about. That's what it's purpose is to distinguish so that song is really it really is going to be a new day for you and uh you know and it's in the word the lyrics which i printed out it says take time to think it out don't make a new mistake i'm here your help at hand and you know the stars have played their part the past is gone and done have more faith in love the best is yet to come so that's really how I related to this song. Cool. cool. All right, listen, I want to get into your book, of course. Before we do, we like to learn three things from our guest, Diane. Who is the messenger? What is the message? And, of course, how do we use it? So to begin, tell us about yourself. I mean, where did you grow up? Where did you study? How and when did you become interested in what you do today? Well, I had a very I've heard listened to your shows which I love and have been enjoying and Thank you. Uh, I knew you asked that question and it's funny that I was uh talking with my husband Alan Collins who is my partner in mm-hmm. all ways in business and in life the other day and I was talking about how you know I I like media so I'm on I've been on over 250 radio shows I think and whenever I go on, I always listen to shows. So I've literally listened to hundreds of shows. And I hear, as you have some of these people who are your guests, and you hear these people who have, you know, these amazing experience, right? A near-death experience or, you know, some kind of, you know, crisis illness, and and they had this great awakening from it, or, you know, an angel appeared before them. And I was talking to Alan the other day and saying, well, really, my life is so ordinary. You know, it's always like, well, where's my experience, you know? So I grew up in a small uh, town, which I call a suburb of New York City, which was actually in New Jersey, Shrewsbury, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And um, a lovely, you know, a very um, functioning... (laughs) beautifully functioning family to this day and as i was growing up however i always had this uh this philosophical outlook on life and i actually remember being about age four and looking in this standing in the hallway mirror and i remember the actual moment 
of becoming aware of self. And I remember pinching my arm, Eldon, and wondering, you know, wow, what's this? It's all of a sudden I became aware of myself as How old were you when this happened? About four. About four, okay. Yeah, and then, you know, (laughs) fast forward, we don't have to hear every detail, but then I think as, uh, so I was always questioning. And as a teenager, my, I have a sister and brother who are older than I am, and they were in college, and they would bring home their college text. And I would start to read, and I started to read, uh, in particular, philosophy books. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I was reading the existentialists and thinking, you know, really, what is the meaning of life? And so I was always in this question. And I remember reading an article about war, about the Vietnam War. And it was by someone who had been there, someone who was, had been in the military. And I was reading this, and I thought to myself, what kind of a civilization did I end up in here <laughs> where we produce, we manufacture weapons, and of course we know a great aspect of our world economy, country to country, is still based on it today, which I think is part of the problem. But I thought, here we are, you know, <laughs> I'm in a, in a civilization where we produce weapons to use, right, in mass, and I'm not talking about weapons of mass destruction, but right, just right. if you look no, at the logic weapons of to kill. Right. right, weapons to kill one another. Right. What is this? That's a big jump from reading, uh, you know, a Soren Kierkegaard or a Martin Buber and theistic existentialism to the sudden realization that we live in a society that's intent on killing itself. That's exactly it. So, my big question. So, at that point, you know, and I remember I had, I did have one kind of a visionary experience with myself where I saw the nervous system. You know, I started thinking about how our nervous system only lets in a certain amount of the visual spectrum, the auditory spectrum. And I had this sort of future vision that as our nervous system developed, that we, meaning the whole brain and the whole, you know, brain stem and everything, I'm not a, <laughs> I'm not a scientist, so... I don't need to be. physiological psychology, but that was about the extent of it. But, you know, I just had this vision that that consciousness, that mind, would be the expansion. And that as that happened, the nervous system would also allow in, uh, let's say, higher aspects of mind with it. So I did have that, but my two big questions were always, with 6,000 years of wisdom available now at the touch of a smartphone, a tablet, why is it we're still not living it? And secondly, because as I was studying yoga, meditation, Eastern philosophies, Western philosophies, uh, and, you know, transformational technologies, psychology, and I did, I did have a double major in 
in college as in philosophy and psychology. But as I was, you know, investigating, I was always looking for, like, how do we get out of this mess, Ollie? And I, you come across, you know, what's known as mind science, science of mind, right. or the idea, Holes. as you think, so you become. And as you know, this is in the Vedantic uh, literature, this is in the Buddha, all that we are is a, is a result of what we have thought, it's in the Bibles, as a man thinketh, so is he. So, and just people like Ernest Holmes, who made a science of the science of consciousness. How does that work? So my second question became, well... If all you had to do is change your thought to change the world, to change my life, why does it still look the way it does? So there was some kind of a fly in the ointment. And so my quest, I would say, of my life became, how do we go from merely knowing the wisdom intellectually, as mental constructs, as good ideas, as a wannabe, you know, wannabe, wannabe wisdom, to actually integrating it, to actually becoming the walking, talking embodiment of the great wisdom. And wisdom. thus we get a, your quantum model. Uh, exactly. a, a revisiting of how we think everything. Now, you know, I, I've got to ask you this question. This is provocative enlightenment, and uh, and you know, it's a rather lengthy question. So I don't mean to offend, but in some ways, Diane, you've modeled your approach on the basis of physics, specifically the uncertainty principle, also known as the observer effect, and the complementarity principle. Now, I have no issue with the fact that folks find what they expect. There is hard psychological data that supports that. But I live with a family of physicists, and they strongly resist the notion that Schrodinger's cat analogy proves that observation inherently changes anything, and so do most modern physicists. They have their own explanations for these principles that underlie the phenomena involved in the uncertainty principle. And as for the complementarity principle, it is closely associated with the Copenhagen interpretation and holds that objects have complementary complementary properties which cannot be measured accurately at the same time. Now, it, it argues that complete knowledge of a phenomena, atomic dimensions, etc., require a description of both the wave and the particle properties. So, now here... Depending on the experimental arrangement, then, that the behavior of such phenomena, as light or electrons, is, is sometimes wave-like or sometimes particle-like. But that duality has nothing to do with anything more than how the experiment is set up. Now, you extend this principle to assert, and I quote, quote, What you choose to observe not only nullifies your ability to observe another, complementary aspect, it can render it non-existent, close quote. I know that the discipline of psychology would define the activity of seeing something to the exclusion of other things in a number of ways, and none of them would call on quantum physics. 
Niles Bohr, who set the principle of complementarity out in 1928, I don't think ever intended it to define principles of perception. So finally, I'll get to my question. Do you think it's accurate to describe perception and or awareness in terms of quantum mechanics, or is it more just a catchy metaphor that sometimes is perhaps overused? Let me say this, that quantum think, which is a system of 21 principles that Mm -hmm. is based in the discoveries of science, is not, I want to say this for listeners, is not about science. It is about how the discoveries of science shape the way we think. So I would like to address some of the things that you said. Oh, cool, too. So, first of all, the premise of quantum think, and this is what I call, you know, my revelation, so to speak, Mm -hmm. is that we imagine we think freely. We all like to think of ourselves as independent thinkers. But in fact, our thinking is very much shaped by the assumptions of the age, of the prevailing worldview. So to say it simply, we're in a quantum age, yet our thinking as a culture, as, as a culture, <coughs> as a culture of humanity, our thinking is still very much under the influence of industrial age assumptions. And the assumptions of that science, the fundamental one, Eldon, being the declaration that only matter is real. Now, for whatever reason they said this, and it was probably to separate themselves from the clergy, but the beginning of rational science, this is what was the declaration. So what I look at is how did that influence our thinking? Well, if you were only looking from a physical, from a matter-based reality, that, by definition, orients us around the ordinary five senses of perception. Now, what is the difference and what is the leap to the quantum worldview? The quantum worldview, and I've heard you, uh, I was listening to one of your shows the other day with... Uh, I think Tom Campbell didn't mm-hmm. hear the whole thing, but right. you know as well as I, there are there are, and it probably is at this point, a handful of scientists who concur that it is a consciousness. It's not a matter-based world as the primordial, you know, sub substratum of life. Right. It's a consciousness-based. It's an intelligent, informational, energetic universe. I say all of the above because they don't agree on exact. There's not one thing. It's multidimensional. So when you talk, we want to make a distinction between the observation. What observation means is not the same as perception. Perception is of the ordinary five senses. You know, taste, visual, whatever. Whereas when I'm talking about observation, I'm specifically talking about it in terms of what we hold in awareness. Now, let me just say, I have to say one thing um, 
the periphery, but very much important, is that why do we have so much pushback, including probably the physicists <laughs> in your family? <laughs> I don't know that, but, you know, you can... Well, and Tom that. Campbell anyway, himself would say that, you know, the way we get to consciousness as being... Uh, the substrate, uh, that, uh, and I don't, we, we, we will just say that quanta that undergirds uh, physical manifestation is not through, uh, principles that describe activities that, uh, are independent of that which undergirds those activities. That's but that's exactly okay. Exactly right. Ahead. Hence okay. the observer effect. But here's the point that I wanted to make. No, not about, hence the observer effect, but okay, go on. Well, okay, but maybe I misunderstood you. But here's the point, is that if we don't have, uh, we, we could call a thing. So my revelation is that we think in a system, and that the system of thinking is based in the assumptions, as I said, of the prevailing worldview. So right. now we have a little bit of, you know, it's a transitional, right. so we're not clear, and we, we don't even realize that the system is shaping our thinking. And let me, well, well I, and I get fully example. that, you know, we're in, we think in an old paradigm, and if you're using the term quantum to, to direct us to a new paradigm, and then you shape from that, I get that totally. Okay, it's, but, but listen ahead. to this. Okay. The institutions themselves, okay, the institutions that are, are also derived from thinking according to that, what I lovingly call, and of course we know it was full of genius and it's not going away, it's not neither or, the old world view that was known as the classical mechanical world view, that one-dimensional world view that when you look at only physical matter is real and you look at the, you know, the conventional educational system, what do we study? We study the matter, the brain. We study perhaps the, the brain connection. We are not learning in conventional education, not yet. And Diane, I'm going to have to ask you to hold it on that one. We'll pick it up when we come back from the break, but I don't you boot it out by the computer. So, again, if you would like to know more about Diane Collins and her work, visit her site, Diane Collins, at two N's, D-I-A-N-N-A-E, collins.com, or check out the links on provocativeenlightenment.com. We have a film featuring our guests during the break. You can watch it in our chat room, so if you're not already there, now is the time to get on over there. Just go to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We'll be right back. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Nothing you can say, but you can learn how to 
Welcome back. If you're just joining us, we're chatting with Diane Collins about a new way of thinking, something she calls quantum thinking in her book, Do You Quantum Think? But before we get back to the show, I want to remind you that the Hay House World Summit is almost upon us, and I would encourage you to register for this wonderful event. There's a great lineup of speakers, and it's free and online, so you can participate right in the comfort of your home. Check out all the details and register, if you will, at eldentaylor.com. That's E-L-D-O-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R.com. All right, Diane, we just uh, played your second choice, uh, All You Need Is Love by the Beatles. What's the story on this one? The story on this one is, first of all, every time I hear it, it really, it just activates that heart string. I don't know if you experienced that, Elton. I do. In fact, I think we all have memories about that music that does that. But don't let me steal it. The meaning of it is that, you know, the the lyrics are so clever because it's like, there's nothing you can know that isn't known, nothing you can see that isn't shown. There's nowhere you can be that isn't where you're meant to be. It's easy. And, you know, earlier in the song, nothing you can do, but you can learn to be you in time. And so for me, this is really one of the quantum thing <laughs> principles, quantum principle, you know, an infinite possibility universe, that superposition. And we'll get back to, because I don't think we, I finished answering your question about, about that. You know, if you tune into one reality, how does that quote, well, you, you know, we, get we rid can of another or not, one, or, but or, it really is just, you know, this song, it's just such an inspiration to say that we can, we are connected to all that is, to all of intelligence. And, of course, the best metaphor, always the easiest one, is the Internet, that when you think of it as the infinite mind, of humanity, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the sublime. And so this comes to that question you asked, is that what reality are we going to live in? And if every reality is possible, or as the physicists call it, the possible world exists, the actual world exists. So the possible world is not just, quote, nothing. It's a question of what is going to manifest. What are we going to click on (laughs) from our computer or, you know, other terminal of choice to to click into a reality on the infinite uh, possibility of infinite mind of the Internet? That's the metaphor. What reality are we going to plug into? And if, in fact, which... You know, it is shown, and uh, I do study the scientific evidence. 
of the effect of mind to mind and mind to matter uh, sure. connection that again I'm not a scientist but I like to have it in my background and I like to know it myself is that we are influencing and I think that why we have as I was saying earlier this pushback is that when you realize for the most part we're thinking according to this old world view to this you know, I'll believe it when I see it. To know it's a physical base. No, consciousness comes from the brain. No, you know, you can't do anything until you change the brain connection. Well, and that we we tend to think that our mind and our brain is synonymous when it's not. We tend to think that our mind ends, our thinking ends at the edge of our body, which it doesn't. So we know that there is emanation from what we call matter, you know, densely formed, <laughs> densely formed energy that we call matter. <clears throat> Getting back to, you know, Einstein again, I'm not a scientist, but I look at, well, how did this influence our thinking? So I was talking about before the break, in the educational system, if since we have never really had our attention, let's say, in science in general, on the serious study of consciousness, on the serious study of what I call the five natural faculties of mind, which I name as intent, the power of intent, the power of our intuition as a connecting link to this non-local intelligent mind field, the power of subtle energy and its malleability, how we can tune into it, how we can literally transmute it, how we can use it, even if it's the so-called negative emotional energy, that when we have uh, an awakened thinking, awakened awareness, that we can become masterful with these faculties of mind. We literally create a new relationship with mind. But again, because the educational institution is based in the industrial age point of view, we're not learning anything about these things. We're not learning about how resonance works within us as human beings. We're not learning about the meditative faculty, the, you know, which I consider meditation more than just a practice. It is a practice, yes, but it's a natural faculty of our own state. So that when we say we're, you know, we're experiencing being centered, we're in, you know, a high state of present moment awareness. When we have that experience, it's in a sense a meditative state. A meditative state could be whatever you are uh, one-pointed focused on when you're doing your work. And there is that experience of being, quote, one with whatever the activity is. So when what I'm saying is that until we learn how these principles have affected our thinking, and now the good news is that we can proactively condition our own thinking to think 
from the more advanced, the more up-to-date principles, rather than looking at them from a more limited view. And I think, Eldon, that's why so many scientists are still stuck. And get and then you know the other scientists get irritated with people like me, <laughs> who are you know oh you're throwing around quantum principles uh, and you don't know anything about it because they don't have the distinction which Dr. Fred Allen Wolf, who is a quantum physicist, you may I don't know if you've ever had him on the show. He's not but, a quantum physicist, but he is a physicist. He, okay. he does write about quantum physics. He yeah, writes about ahead. quantum anyway. physics for the, yeah, okay, yeah. for the lay person. And, you know, it's that, and he wrote the foreword to do quantum thing. And, you know, he is more stringent about the science than you might think, because he no, has said he, to yeah. me, you know, well, you know, he said, what you're doing, he said, the scientists, you know, he said, I'm okay with, because you're not saying what you're doing is science. What you're saying is that the discoveries of science influence our thinking, and this is how it's influenced. So what I'm saying is the old world view, it was a view of, you know, collect the data, categorize the data, organize the data, uh, make conclusions about the data, and then live from those conclusions as if that is, quote, the absolute way that it is. And so how did that influence us as ordinary, everyday people in everyday life? Because that's what I'm concerned with. You know, I've, I was saying I've listened to so many things. I've heard so many people on these, you know, uh, lecture series and whatever. And everyone always wants to know at the end. Oh, this sounds great, but how do I live these principles? So that's what I'm interested in. What happens in your everyday relationships? What happens when you want to accomplish a result? And so when you look at, wow, I've been influenced on, you know, thinking of a person as that's the way it is, or thinking of my psychology even as that's the way it is. Oh, that's the way I am because my mother said that to me when I was two years old then we're going to be limited. I'm not saying it's not valid. What I'm saying is you will be limited by the limits of Beliefs the worldview that you accept. Absolutely. Totally concurred. Totally concurred. So just to make sure I've got this right, you're not trying to be a quantum physicist. You're, you're utilizing how science influences our thinking as the model that's involved here, and that's why the the conversation about quantum okay that's exactly uh, right so i now i've written and lectured about the power of our mind for over 30 years and and i totally agree with you that thinking is destiny and and where i would might not use um the terms in physics maybe i'm just a coward i don't want to get shot at by my family <laughs> all right but you know, I will pay close attention to what we, you know, what we call those operational definitions that come out of behavioral science. And so, I'm very well aware of, uh, you know, Pygmalion factor, expectation factor, and and uh, and on and on and on. However, here's where we are. 
The problem for most people, it seems, is not in recognizing the simple truth that their thinking creates their reality. It's rather in discovering the many ways in which they fool themselves into believing that they're smarter than they are. So I've got a two-part question for you, Diane. First, do you find that my assessment of what I just said about them thinking they're smarter than they are, that they, they are able to figure out their own stuff without, you know, uh, do you find that to be the correct? And second, what do you think is the best way to open people up to the possibilities that really lay dormant within most? Okay. <laughs> Two-part question. Well, first of all, I'm not sure of what you mean by people thinking they're smarter than they are. What do well, you mean they're, by that? You know, they're not aware of their own hidden biases, their own, you know, mechanisms, their... their you know, we, we run all kinds of studies in behavioral science where we we ask people to make decisions and we know that they're making the decision at an unconscious level and yet they will consciously make up a reason for why they do what they do. Uh, in, in our in our need to justify our, our thinking. I mean, and I write a lot about that and, you kind know, of thing. A good, that's a good illustration, Eldon, of how the that old world, it's an analytical right. worldview. Right. view of analysis. Analyze the data. So this, is, this, is, this influence is subtle. It's not like we're choosing to think that way. It's that automatically, you know, mechanical worldview, as I right. say, I'm not trying to criticize us, but in many ways we became mechanical and automatic too. And in fact, Absolutely. behavioral conditioning is one of the outcomes of, you know, how did psychology get reflected from that mechanical worldview? Stimulus, cause, and effect. So right now, what I'm saying and seeing and saying it's, it's easy, all you, well, you know, all you need is love, but to get to that, you know, people are smarter than they are, I think, uh, you know, what my husband and I call it, it's simply missing distinctions. It's a lack of distinction <clears throat> about your relationship with your own thinking, with your own mind. So, again, I like solutions. And right. what I'm saying is that if you know certain principles that are, you know, well, how can we now shape our thinking according to a more expansive worldview, which we can call for short, okay, the quantum worldview, is that, first of all, there is no fixed way that reality is, and I mean, science is no, you know, it's not fixed. It's energy and flux informed by, you know, intelligence or however you think of it, and that we don't have to think of anything in our lives as fixed, even the way we think of ourselves or our own habits and patterns, which I borrow a term, least action pathway, to say that a thought that becomes habituated or even an emotional pattern that becomes habituated, what if that's just a vestige of this old world mechanical worldview conditioning. We don't have to give it any more meaning. We can analyze it to death, but we'll never really know. Now, sometimes, 
and I heard Ravinda say earlier in the first <clears throat> segment of the show that, you know, she got to the source of something, and I think, you know, there is something to that. It's whatever is working. But what I'm saying is getting back to these principles that, you know, there are no absolutes for, for everyday life. We, and here's a very important one. We exist in fields. And the fields I like to refer to, we exist in mind fields, M-I-N-D. And so we are picking up, you know, I mean, this is logic. We're picking up intel from the mind field. So just as in very simple terms, you could walk into a room of, of exuberantly happy people and you haven't heard them say a word, you don't even know them, but you can feel the energy of it. You can walk into a boardroom where there's just been a big conflict, you know, between the board members, and you can feel the tenseness in there. Where, where is that coming from? That is the connectivity between us in the field. So what I'm saying is that we, we all, most of the thoughts, I'm asserting this, I don't know this as any kind of absolute truth either, but let's look at this as one possible way of relating to our relationship with our own thoughts. Okay. A lot of the thoughts we have are not even ours. They are just what I call visiting. So the first thing that we can do is make a distinction between a thought that you initiate with the conscious awareness that you're doing it, a thought that is originated, it's coming from you. You're choosing it. And you can only do this in the awakened state. So when a thought comes in, visits, and, you know, you mentioned about mindfulness. This is, you know, one of the aspects of mindfulness is you notice a thought, well, how are you going to be related to that thought? You can't change the thought, as my husband says, the thought gets there before you do. So who's the you doing the looking? That's the mindfulness. So the thought comes into your mind field, into your <clears throat> individualized mind field, and what are you going to do with it? Well, we don't have to own it. You certainly don't have to believe it. It's definitely not the absolute truth. So you can just relate to it, you know, I created a device called Least Action Pathway Thought. Oh, that's just the Least Action Pathway. Now, how do I want to create my experience right now? Oh, what's the dynamic of creation that we've been uh, born with? <laughs> that is the dynamic of intent. And then you go to that. So it's not like you are monitoring every thought, Eldon, but it is about having, there are two relationships that I just have been distinguishing. One is the relationship with thought as a system based in the worldview, because when you leap systems, when you take a literal, a quantum leap and start to think and live from the quantum worldview, which matches and merges now, and verifying, you know, universal wisdom that is common to most spiritual mastery wisdom traditions, and that 
we can connect to in ourselves, that's why it makes sense to us, because it is in all of us, going back to that Beatles song, nothing you can sing that hasn't been sung. When okay. you read Do You Quantum Think, you connect to that in yourself. So when you jump systems, you're embraced by the system, and you have this heightened awareness so that when something isn't working, you don't get stuck with a thought that you don't get stuck with a belief that is disempowering. You create a relationship to it where you can let it fly by like a bird past your window. And I haven't experimented, as probably you have, but I am uh, pretty sure that that can interrupt those neuronal pathways. I am absolutely convinced that we hold life beliefs, and not necessarily spiritual or religious or political alone, but life beliefs, all of those that have to do with our limitations, you know, people that think that, well, there's only so much money in the world, you know, and we, which is false, or, or I can only, you know, I can only do so much good, or, or I can only improve so much, like, you know, there's no answer to the question how high is up when it comes to self-improvement. I, I, I totally accept all of those notions. I guess what I missed in your answer, Diane, that I'm looking for here is, what, what is the initiation point for which we we make this switch from uh, what you're defining as the old mechanical to the new quantum? What is it, you know, what is, how do we do that? Well, that's why I wrote the book. But, you know, I want to say something. And that's that why I asked the, the question, so, you know, give me the answer. <laughs> okay. Well, the but the, you know, the how, to, is that what you're saying? Like, what's the methodology? Yeah, what I, I, actually I, you know, has Where do happened? you start? What What's your starting point? I mean, you know, our listening audience is listening, uh, hopefully, and, and uh, you know, we've got some theoretical ideas here and, and, uh, and, there's no disagreement about, uh, you know, how the mind uh, chooses to limit our our potentials in life. Uh, my, you know, my real question to you is, where do we start? How does that person start? How do they say, okay, I'm going to become a quantum thinker? You know, what does that mean to even say that? What is it that we do? Well, <laughs> do you want me to give a practice, or do you want me to tell people to read my book? Here's the thing. Is it a practice? Is that, is that what it is? Well, there. I want to say, here's the methodology, okay? And let okay. me just say that this book was written 10 to 15 years after uh, my husband, who I said is my partner in business, and I have been actually delivering, working with people with quantum think principles, 21 specific principles and practices for the mind and awareness. So how it works, okay, so if whoever has been listening, what I've been doing is I've been doing the method of quantum thinking. The method of quantum thinking is what I call the art of distinguishing. 
a new worldview of learning. So let's say the old worldview of learning, which is still, of course, balanced. Well, I hate again. to do this because you're right at the meat of everything that I want to hear, but we've got a break coming. So now you hold okay. that. 21 okay. specific principles. We're going to get to the meat when we come back. Okay. We hope you're enjoying our show today. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes and take your calls. If you have a question for Diane, now's your opportunity. Do call in. You can do that by dialing one eight seven seven two three zero three zero six two. Stay tuned. I promise we've saved the best for last. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Whether you catch our show on CTR or one two radio dot com or BTO dot net and or bbs.com. We want you to know that we appreciate you. Thank you for listening. If you're new to this show, you may enjoy our archives. You can find more than five years of archives at our site, provocativeenlightenment.com. During that time, we have interviewed Hollywood greats, politicians, psychics, CIA personnel, Hearts, scientists, religious leaders, skeptics, mathematicians, philosophers, social psychologists, best-selling authors, channels, mediums, and more. We have charted the waters of health and wellness, parapsychology, psychic phenomena, UFOs, NDEs, physics, psychology, criminology, neuromarketing, brainwashing, and still more. If any of that sounds like your kind of radio, check out our archives again at Provocative Enlightenment. Be sure to subscribe to our free newsletter while you're there. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're speaking with Diane Collins about a new way of thinking, something you can learn more about in her book, Do You Quantum Think? And the book is a very lucid, well-written book that, you know, I I enjoyed the book very much, and I would suggest it to anyone and everyone. We will take your phone calls in this half hour, so if you have questions of our guest, either give us a call or submit your questions in our chat room. Ravinder and her team are there to put your questions forward. Okay, Diane, before we jump back into 21 specifics and the meat of everything I've been looking for, we just played some of Happy by Pharrell Williams. Why is this music important to you? And so the idea is that sometimes we just feel happy. You have that experience. This will get to the meat, by the way, of quantum thinking, too. 
that mm. you have an experience of well-being, of feeling good, of feeling fine, even if the circumstances surrounding you are not matching up to that feeling. Happiness is our natural state, and it's not dependent on circumstances. So what he's saying in the song is, you know, you can give me all the bad news you want, but don't waste your time because I'm feeling happy. And it's really that we are happiness, and we know that we have that experience where regardless of the circumstances, I wrote it in Do You Quantum Think, you know, one day, here's the power of mind. One day you wake up and you're feeling fabulous. The next day you wake up and you're feeling, oh, my God, you know, melancholy or whatever. And the circumstances surrounding you in your life are exactly the same. This is why that I call the mantra of quantum thing. When you master your mind, you master your life. Because you don't have to be stuck with that least action pathway, that automatic thought or that emotion that for whatever reason, which you'll never know anyway, that it doesn't matter. Just, you know, move on. Click into another reality now. So that's why the song Happy. And it's I wanted you song. to play I it, it so that idea. everybody would be happy hearing it so that yeah. we can invoke happiness. You know, it really makes you feel good. But, you know, getting to the to the meat of it, what you wanted to hear, Eldon, that right. Quantum Think is a system of 21 principles and practices that puts it all together, and it starts with, you know, the very first principle, the universe has holistic and holographic. You start to look at your life instead of in compartments, uh, business and pleasure, you know, mind and body, spiritual and material. That's how the old worldview has conditioned us. But when you're actually thinking from a holistic and holographic way, whole systems, you can start to see your life in a new way, even as people right now, as we're in this great transitional time for all of us collectively, and people are going through a lot of changes, and it gives you pause to step back and say, you know, well, what is my purpose? Am I living my purpose? What do I really, really want now? What am I passionate about? And you can start to look at your life as one whole story. There is a, a chapter called, uh, it, it deals with distinguishing your purpose, where you can see the connections in your own life, and you get clear, you bring into your awareness your own talents and experiences and how they connect and how they've brought you to this moment and what you'll be doing next. But I wanted to talk about the second principle. So anyway, it's putting these all together. Observer creative reality, which is the core principle that I want to talk about because you brought up about the observer effect earlier in the show. Okay, please do. Okay, so first, a, a small preface that the method, let's say an old world view where everything looked in the physical, everything looks separate from everything else. It does appear that way in the physical dimension of reality. But we know we're, in, we're living in a multidimensional and energetic, a spiritual dimension, all the rest, the cosmic principles of the operating principles that scientists discover. So there's many dimensions. But we've been, again, oriented around the physical. So I say, you know, this is one of the causes of the great divisiveness that we experience now. But part of it is, is that it looks like in order for us 
to get anything to happen. We have to push and pull on the circumstances of life, and it feels like hard work. And as the pace of change in today's world is accelerating, as we have more and more choices because of our amazing technologies, if you try to go in that old step-by-step, linear progress, uh, let me get all the information and then try to apply it. That's what I would call, you know, the the old way, world view of learning. Again, still valid, but you have to be able to be discerning when that's good and when it's no longer effective. So what's the new world view of learning? This is how quantum think works. It works in the art of distinguishing. Distinguishing means that you bring something into your awareness right now in the moment in such a way that it alters your you you alter your relationship to it and so when we say well wait a minute there are distinctions in life you know between us and the objects the everyday that we live in and people and creatures but there are no actual separations because we are connected through fields. There's physical fields, you know, the oxygen and carbon dioxide, you know, that relationship. There's, we could distinguish it in many ways. But the point of it is this idea of the observer effect, and you brought up about Heisenberg experiment, that in science it was found that the actual instrument of observation through which they were observing the energy was having an effect on what they were observing. So again, quantum think is not about science. It's about, well, how can we use that to have us be more masterful in our lives? How can that shape our own thinking? Well, look at it this way. I call it, in the quantum think system, it's the number two principle, observer-created reality. And the subtitle of the chapter is very simply, what you bring is what you get. So what's the instrument of observation for people, for us, for you and me? Ourselves. Is our, our own self, right. Our own, what we hold in consciousness, what we hold right. in mind. So if we're holding assumptions or beliefs, about a situation, about ourselves, about another person, I always like to use the example of going into a business meeting where you want to get, you know, a new client or customer. And you're holding within your own, you know, resonant field, your personal resonance, that you're holding in yourself beliefs that you are holding as if that's the way it is about the other person. Well, I don't know whether this person is going to sign the contract with me for my services because I'm new in business and the person that they've been in business with, they've been doing business for the last five years, and you're holding all these uh Self-defeating thoughts, yeah. Yeah. Fear of failure, fear of success, right? Exactly. And it's not just a thought. It has an emanation. It has a resonance. It has an energetic to it. And not only that, because we exist in fields, which, again, invisible to the, you know, normal vision for the most part, that other people experience it 
just like when you go into a room and you experience happy or sad. So what do we do? The practice for observer-created reality. In other words, and the, the spiritual wisdom says it this way, that the world exists on the screen of your own consciousness. And we know that the science says, you know, there is no separation between the observer and what's being observed. Our reality in this moment, and I'm, you know, asking everyone to look right now, what can you be aware of other than what you're aware of in this very moment? This is your reality right now, whether you're having stray thoughts, associated thoughts, what am I having for lunch, what did I do 20 years ago, what am I going to do tomorrow? That's still your reality right now. So we're well, holding my, mine's all not of a stray it. thought. So I'm going to take advantage of that. Okay. Okay. Uh, one of the faculties that you talked about earlier was that of intuition, and because I have some experience coming from law enforcement, etc. You know, someone sits down in a room and you're in an exchange, interrogation, or just conversation, a deal like what you brought up in the scenario. We would say you're reading all kinds of body language. Okay. And we would say you're picking up other subtle clues. The fact is, I totally agree with you. I think you're picking up a, an energy itself, you know, the kind of energy that when the hackles on your neck stand up because you're walking to your car some dark night and you're thinking, you know, without a thought, suddenly you get this information system. So you get in the car and lock the door and you see why you did and you're really grateful you did, you see. I, I think we process that information. My question is, Diane... How do you turn on this intuition? Because we have been trained, as you say, in this material world to turn those kinds of senses down and instead to look at the material aspect of things. That's why you make the, the leap. I just that's why we buy your book. For it. That's why you buy the book. That's, what, that's why we buy the see, book and come to your seminar. Okay, go on. Okay, I'm sorry. but here's the thing, okay, because I don't want to leave people without the practice for shifting a predictable outcome. That is sure. the practice. So how, but here's the thing, that how do we embody? I started out by saying my life's mission, <laughs> one of them, is how do, we, how do we go to living the wisdom rather than just knowing it or trying to apply it, which has never really worked that well. Um, but how do we, ex so what I'm saying is that it's experiential. When we have an experience, you know, if you want to know what does it, what does pasta taste like, you can read about it, you can watch a video on it, somebody can describe it to you, all the rest. You could smell it, but until you taste it, then you know, and that knowledge never leaves you. Now, when you, what my book, Do You Quantum Think, New Thinking That Will Rock Your World, is designed to do, it's in two parts, part one, wake up, why should we quantum think, which I tried to make entertaining, and thank you for saying it was enjoyable, because it I like it. It was a very good read. And very good part read. two, oh, I'm not just saying here's why, you know, things haven't worked that well, but maybe there's nothing wrong with us, maybe we just need to make this leap in our evolutionary consciousness. Part two, live the wisdom. Oh, here are the principles. Put it all together, and here are the simple practices. Because the idea is twofold. As you read, this is the intent of the book, is to give yourself an experiential knowledge. You have an experience because you are 
practicing the art of distinguishing as you read. You're bringing something into your awareness in such a way that you're making a new connection within yourself. Okay, so that is the method, the art of distinguishing, a new worldview of learning. It's instantaneous. Now, to make sure that that gets in, I have the practices I call recreations, which means right. it's a double entendre, amusement for your mind, <laughs> and also to recreate the distinction in thinking. I call the principles distinctions in thinking, to recreate that distinction in your life. So for the observer effect, what you bring is what you get. The first thing is to become aware of that you've got, you're bringing, you're driving to this appointment with, uh, you know, all these assumptions and beliefs that are definitely going to predictably not get you the result you want. In some way, you are energetically preventing that result. So you could, it's, as you said, it's like the foot on the accelerator and the brake at the same time. The counter, you've got the intent, and I use intent as distinct from intention. Intent meaning an activation of that energy, intelligent, resonant field, which brings about many results as distinct from an intention, which is an end result in the future. So it's more a shamanic use of it. So the idea is that you become aware of this, You interrupt it by saying, oh, okay, let me interrupt those least action pathway thoughts. That's not the truth. I don't need that. And what is my intent for my relationship? This is what it means. The practices shift a predictable outcome by creating a new intent. Now, very, very essentially important, and this is where jumping systems and and looking from the quantum principles becomes very important, Eldon, because the difference between quantum thinking and positive thinking, which I could define, it's always good to have positive thoughts, but positive thinking is like having a positive thought or an affirmation covered attempting to cover over a negative belief assumption that you're living as if that's the way it is. So the first thing is you have to shake up the cement of the container of your thinking, realizing, wait, there is no fixed reality. There is no way that it is. It's always shifting and changing, and for human beings, according to what you bring to your observation. So the first thing is to see this is not covering up like Pollyanna ishing, you know, mm-hmm. a book I, I read on your thing. I like Pollyanna too, but it's not a Pollyanna like La La Land. Well, if I just say this, then it will happen. No. Quantum thinking means that you realize if there is no way that reality is in any given moment in space time, then what is shaping reality? The context from which you are choosing to live. So when you create an intent as a quantum thinker, you are generating consciously with the awareness that you're doing so a context 
that you're choosing to live from. Now, I want to tell you something. On the vehicle through which this came, we all have our unique wisdom, and it, I think, behooves us each, one, to discover what that is. This came through me, but I can tell you this, and thank you, God, it works. So when I say you generate a new context, realizing that the context that you've been living in, which you could call the default context, you get a computer, these default settings, however those settings got there in you, it doesn't matter. Those beliefs, those this, maybe it did come from when your teacher tapped you on the hand with a ruler, who knows? That is, in quantum thinking, irrelevant. The only thing that's relevant is to know that that is not a fixed and static reality. That reality from a quantum worldview is context-dependent. That you are the instrument shaping what you see in every moment. You may not be able to control your circumstances, control your situation, but you always have 100% jurisdiction over how you are related to it. And when you shift your state, this is the old as above, so below, as within, so without. When you make a shift in your state, the outer world shifts with you. Why? Because there is no actual separation. There are distinctions, but there's no actual separation between you and another person, particularly when you come together in an aligned intent. And as I like to say, it takes one to tango in a quantum world. So (laughs) you can create an intent, not like, I want this customer to, you know, sign the contract. No, that's not an intent. It is a statement of intent when you're quantum thinking. And again, it's a chosen context. It's no more the truth than uh, that I am going to get the contract than it is the truth that I'm not going to get the contract. Because we're not working in absolutes. We're working in created context. So the contextual statement would be something like, we are excited to be in this meeting together. We're both seeing the possibilities of this business relationship. And we are aligned on going forward. And when you say that, Again, you're creating a context. It's like the song, Happy, you know, that Pharrell wrote. You're creating a context that you are now living into that resonance. And when you bring a statement of intent that's for the relational field, it's for both of you. It's not, I want to manipulate you. No, that's old world thinking like they're separation thinking. This is fully integrated thinking. So I'm just giving an example of one, and I hope that answers the, the meat and potatoes. Yeah, it was actually, that was very excellently done. Okay, listen, we have about 45 seconds. I want you to tell everybody where they can get their book, or your book, where they can learn about the courses that you're teaching, your website, etc. Go for it. The best thing is to go to my website, dianecollins.com. It's Diane with two N's, D-I-A-N-N-E-C-O-L-L-I-N-S, to definitely sign up for my newsletter because I just started blogging on Huffington Post, and we're going to be doing some rare uh, 
quantum thing programs that we only do occasionally, but you'll see my book there. It's available in hardcover and all ebook editions on Amazon, on Barnes and Noble, Books a Millions, in most bookstores. You can order it. And uh, when you sign up for the for the uh, my Quickly. list, by the way, you get a link to a fabulous, if I do say so myself, a fabulous article that explains everything very clearly. It's called "You Can't Get There From Here." All right. It's all well, about the shift in context. I'm sorry, Diane. We're out of time. Uh, appreciate you coming to the show today. We've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment, and I want to thank all of you, uh, you know, for joining us. I hope you enjoyed our show, and we'll join us again next week, same time and same place. And tell your friends. Let's have them join us as well. And remember, if you have comments on our show, do please let us know. Okay, until next time, wherever you are in the world, remember, believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com. <laughs>